Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Greg Mahachko, back in the saddle, joined by, well, if you're watching on YouTube, you're not sure what's going on. Joined by, as always, Todd Wolverton. Hello, Todd. Hi, Greg. Good evening. How are you, sir? I'm just uh, dandy. Doing fine. Terrific. And joined, of course, uh, uh, in and out. Uh, I, I think he had to step away for a, a minor BM, uh, but that is our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. Hello, John. Hey, Todd's all chippy. What the hell's going on? <laughs> what are you, you, you antidepressants or some kind of fucking drug that takes your old people pain away or something? Oh, there you go. That's it. Soma? <laughs> is that it? No, it's uh, uh, Jim Beam. <laughs> oh well that's kind of old man thing that takes the pain away yeah i got it John. i had to i i had to the dog it wants to come in wants to go out wants to come in wants to go out is that why you blurred your background well i blurred my background because the back of me just looks like a mess it, it, in it all fairness the front of you doesn't look that much better <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm just gonna start out that way huh I missed you guys last week. I listened to the show. I I, I brought notes. <laughs> I'm so excited. See Let's... my messy stuff over there. Yeah. Yeah. You see, uh, let's see. There we go. Hey, can't, I, I know some of you guys can't wait to get back there. Uh, yeah, that's because uh, they could have a chance of having a winning season as a men's program would be kind of different. You know, it, it would be wrestling. nice. <laughs> we'll talk about wrestling for sure. They had a, a very nice outing uh, since our last recording. So we will definitely talk uh, wrestling. I wanted to, I don't like to rehash. Uh, in fact, it, in my past, it's been a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but since I didn't have the opportunity to uh, join on the show last week, uh, there were some, some thoughts in listening to your guys. Excellent show, by the way. Uh, I, well, how this is not an award-winning podcast, I'll never know. And I think what it is, hear me out, Todd, because I know you're, I, I think I'm holding you guys back. <laughs> Who would we win awards from? Who wouldn't we win awards from? We have to be the number one Husker podcast since the Big Red Cobcast uh, retired. We've got to you know, be the we, number one podcast. I, I, what did I get lately? I got a message from somebody that they said uh, they'd listened to three. They lifted, listened to Dr. Rob's, you know, Zadiska. Uh, oh, come on. One other one. And then us, because we're funny. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't yeah, listen no. to any of the. They don't like to listen to the, the regular media guys podcast because they felt that they didn't tell it like it is. And they just sugarcoat everything. Well, who's the other pod? Like who's another podcast out there that you got Matt Slauson and Danny Woodhead with uh, uh, out of the goddamn? I'm not prepared. I was doing shit before I started this, and I am not prepared at all. Two two things happened uh, as we're recording this. Uh, we had planned on recording <laughs> this on Wednesday. It is Wednesday. I uh, I threw everybody a curveball and said, "Could we go a little bit earlier?" As it turns out. Uh, after we got through all of our pre-recording chit chat, we went about eight minutes early. 
<laughs> uh, than our, our normal time. But secondly, uh, what I did was I reminded John that we had a, a recording tonight. So, um, but no, but there were some uh, elements of, I might be, oh, okay. No, there were some aspects from last week's show um, that I want to talk about. And there was something I know, Todd, uh, we'll probably do it at the end of the show though. Um, a, a loss, a celebrity loss, but a loss nonetheless, that was very near and dear to your heart. Uh, so we'll, I want to talk about that. Um, so you guys last week talked about the transfer portal. And I think since that recording, we even, we being the Huskers, of course, even picked up an 11th transfer portal uh, player, uh, defensive back from uh, you and I. I. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Northern Iowa. I, 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 I wanted to say Northern Iowa. I had a fear I'd be wrong. Uh, so I appreciate you, Todd, uh, setting the record straight. So that makes 11 uh, transfer portal uh, incoming players. Um, I, I don't know, you know, of course, Adrian Martinez being the big one. Um, I, I don't know how many players we've lost to the transfer portal. It's early yet. I think we'll see more, you know, as we either get closer to spring football or, or you know, in the weeks after spring football. Um, but a, a comment was made or, or a question raised in, in your guys' episode last week about the transfer portal and if it will be fixed in the coming years. Um, and, and, John, you're laughing like you're trying to figure out – you're trying to rack your brain to figure out, get back in the moment from a week ago. Yeah, he's, right, getting he's getting fixed. a little itchy between his legs because he's Fit. concerned about being fixed. <laughs> Wow, dude. How long you been going? <laughs> what what needs fixed about the transfer portal? I think th- there are the concerns about the um it was the transfer portal t- maybe taking a uh, a higher priority than traditional recruiting of, of high school players. It, it was certainly talked about last night. It's no secret when you, when you uh, bring in uh, a player from the transfer portal, you're getting a more mature player, more mature athlete, uh, bigger, stronger, faster. And, and, you know, the likelihood of there being some college experience at some level, be it, you know, Juco or, uh, you know, D one or, or FCS, whatever that case may be. Um, and it, it got me thinking that, I don't know if you're looking for a solution that's better than transfer portal because the rules changed just very recently where uh, you don't have to wait. You don't have to sit out a year upon transferring. You can transfer and, and have immediate eligibility. And I, I wish I would have been more elaborate in my, <laughs> what I said to you guys in the chat, but I guess I didn't want to uh, um, spoil anything. I don't see the transfer portal ever being any less chaotic than it is currently. Does that make sense? Uh, I because every you're not you're. I think it's talking about players' rights and and how do you you know stop them from jumping around things like that. I don't think there's a way to put the the toothpaste back in the tube. I I guess you know when I when I think what about what you're saying here, Greg. One of the things that and, and I'm fine with the transfer portal. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, does it, does it make you always comfortable, but I, I, I guess I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I think one of the things that I would like them to explore is 
can you put some time frame restrictions in there? In other words, you can enter the transfer portal between this date and that date. And I'm not saying just one small um, chunk of time, but, you know, at the conclusion of the season, so, you know, between the conclusion of the season and the start of spring ball or something like that, or the start of the second semester, or, you know, at the end of the, the scholastic uh, year and uh, July, whatever, just so, and I'm just talking football, just so that there's some kind of a little bit of order to the chaos, if you will. Um, Structure, some, some, there, there, there you go. Kind of yeah. like, like uh, kind of like when you sign up for a class to take in college and then you realize I suck at this. And then there's, <laughs> there's like a last day to drop right. a class, right? Well, I, yeah, that I, still exists, doesn't it? I don't think so. It oh, does. Really? Well, in college it, or in classes, it does. Yeah. I, I yeah. guess what, what concerns me is when guys are jumping in the portal, you know, in the middle of the season and, you know, I, I just, I don't like that. And maybe that's the old school part of me that, you know, says you finish what you start, but I don't, I really don't have a problem if those guys jump in and out. I do like the rule. You can do it one time. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. I guess with the idea that you're eligible for the next season, you don't have to sit out a year. I mean, that needs to be consistent among all sports you know, and, and, and I would like to see a timing thing for all sports too. And, and I don't want to get too far off the beaten path here, but we actually have wrestlers that have jumped in the portal since the start of the season who are now wrestling for other teams. Penn State's loaded up on two of these guys. Wow. Um, I didn't so, know that. Yes. So Those fucking Penn State people. <laughs> well, I, a, a lot of things I want, I want to, add on or, or, or touch on what you're talking about, Todd. And I apologize if I interrupted. No, no, go ahead, Greg. You, you um, I remember th- this was something that was uh, ingrained in, in my brain at a very young age um, from personal experience, but also I had a book. I want to say it was like sports illustrated for kids publication, but it was just like the Joe Montana story, you know, about, you know, you know, his life, uh, youth football, high school, Notre Dame, the back injuries, the the rehab, you know, the the Super Bowls, the the glory, etc. But there was a time, I think, in youth football or or high school where he wanted to quit midseason, and his dad said, you know, similarly, you're going to see this out. You made a commitment to the coaches, your your friends and teammates. You're going to see. If you don't want to play next year, that's fine. But you're not you're not going to be able to quit midseason. Um, I know that's more anecdotal, but I feel like that is a um, a mindset that uh, I think is is missing nowadays. Um, and I, I I do somewhat see it both ways because I get if you're not happy, if it's you know what can be perceived as a toxic environment, although that is a very fluid concept uh, that that you know maybe um, you're not uh, growing, but um, I don't, and, and part of me is that old, old school mentality of, you know, what got the Huskers of the nineties to glory is that, you know, if, if you ask all the ones, you know, all, all the, the first stringers, they said, you know, our toughest competition were, were the people that we faced in practice. Um, and now 
I, it, and I'm not saying it's, it's any individual or the Huskers. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, systemic in college football is, well, if I'm not getting the playing time, I think I deserve here. I'm going to f- jump ship, go to a different school. That's, that's attracting, you know, uh, uh, luring me or, or go down a level where I might be a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond, something like that. Um, so I, I do, I, I see both sides again, the, the, the old man in me, uh, since we're basically just real guys, uh, you know, complaining about shit is, you know, finish out your commitment. Uh, I love the notion of there being a, a defined time to be active in the transfer portal. Um, I, I wonder if after the national championship game is too late because by then a lot of classes have already started, there has to be a, um, a fine line in there, but if that would, by limiting it to, you know, before fall or spring semester starts, anybody who's playing in the national championship or, you know, how it's structured now, uh, they don't have the opportunity to, to transfer out. Um, so th- there's not, there's no perfect solution um, unless maybe it's, you can only transfer and, and guarantee your immediate eligibility in, in the summer, you know, like after spring football. Greg, Greg, what um, what do you view as the commitment? Um, and I'm, I'm I'm a guy that does believe you honor commitments, but when you say you know the the view that you've established over your life, when uh, you know the the safety from Grand Island uh, commits to the University of Nebraska and signs a scholarship, how long is that commitment? I. That again, that I'm not trying to, you know, be repetitive. I would think that you at least have to get on campus, right? Like that's the thing that uh, uh, frustrates me about uh, um, Luke McCaffrey is he left Nebraska, went to Louisville for a week, and then f- zipped on down to Rice with immediate eligibility. Like I think that is wrong. He was in Louisville for a cup of coffee. That should have been the school that would have earned his immediate eligibility. And I know I know I'm going off topic of your question, so I apologize. Um, but I think he should have had to sit out at Rice because he left Nebraska for Louisville, said, "Oh, this is not the place for me," without really giving it an opportunity, and and went off down south. As to the commitment, I again, this is the old school in me. I think a commitment should be a commitment, which is a commitment for more than. A month and a half, you know, like you, if you're, if you sign a letter of intent and a scholarship to play for Nebraska or Illinois or Purdue or Alabama or Southern Cal, if you sign a, you, you at least need to enroll in some classes, step on the practice field and, and, uh, uh, you know, try to establish yourself into that program. Am, am I wrong on that? I don't disagree with that. I, I do know that we probably have a few listeners out there that think that, you know, when a, when a guy signs a scholarship to play football at Michigan or Nebraska or wherever it might be, that that's a four-year or, or with a redshirt, a five-year commitment. And it's, it's not. Technically, that scholarship is a one-year scholarship. Hmm. Or semester. And um, I, don't, I don't disagree with you, Greg. I, you know, I think once you make a commitment and you sign your name on the dotted line, um, that you ought to, um, you ought to, you ought to honor that commitment though. Goofy things come up, you know, strange things happen. 
dad dies, you know, two weeks before the start of, you know, I mean, those kinds of things happen and maybe there is hardship, hardship, but I, I, I guess the thing that I I'm, I've wrapped my head around is that coaches can take scholarships away from players. Coaches can leave before their conference championship game or between before their bowl game. And, you know, I'll tell you what, when, when you look, when management can go and labor can't, here we go, John, then I think that there's an equity issue here. I, I don't. So the, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what segment of the population or, or, or fandom or, or, or fan base or listenership. I'm going to piss off with this. Uh, we all want success and we all want our team in this case, the Huskers to win every game, win them by 70, like it was 25 years ago and, you know, have, have easy breezy Saturday afternoons from here on out. When that doesn't happen, we have situations like we've had the last better part of a decade or, you know, two decades, if depending on how far back you want to go. To your point, Todd, about management and, and the labor uh, guild, not the right word, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> um, Maybe. <laughs> you shut your damn dirty whorish mouth. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I am ever okay with firing somebody midseason. I don't either. Um, and 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 that goes back to. Go ahead, John. I'm waiting. What the fuck is this stuff about? I mean, sometimes you just go into business. It's not a good fit. Why should a guy who's not a good fit somewhere have to stick it out because of some fucking commitment thing? I'm not talking about a football player. I'm talking about coaches. You I've worked for plenty of customers where I walked in the door and, you know, because of who I am, they go, uh, they call my boss one day I'm there and they go, uh, don't send this motherfucker back out here again. They don't say motherfuckers. Well, maybe they did, but they, you know, I've been told that. Uh, yeah, I, I worked at, uh, if you remember who IDS is, I worked at IDS years ago, went down there once they called my boss and said, don't send him back. Well, they said I had facial hair and this was a part of IDS that handled accounts that had like $500 million and above. And everybody had gold cufflinks and starch shirts. And I didn't fit there. And I was thankful that they said, don't come back. I've also said things to business owners, but they said, uh, you can leave now. <laughs> Cause I didn't fit. I'm not, if they want guys that tell them how nice everything is and how wonderful they are, I'm not their guy to hire. And we know that right away. Sometimes you get into a situation and you're just like, uh, I don't belong here. I should leave and go somewhere else. So why can't a player just figure that out? I will bring up PJ Flex season, what, two years ago, three years ago? He fired his defensive coordinator about three and eight, three or four games into the season, and his entire season turned around. Right. That whole team started playing defense. So I, I'm for anything goes. I realize we have this uh, you should honor commitment stuff, but sometimes you should also know uh, it's okay to quit. It's okay to say, I don't belong here and this is not working and I need to get the fuck out of here. Well, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see some numbers on this whole portal thing. 
I really, you know, at some point when the dust clears for this season, how many players entered the portal and how many players are no longer playing football when the fall comes around? Because I think that number, you know, it's, it's kind of like suicide by cop. It's quitting football <laughs> by portal, you know, walking away from football by portal. That's kind of a weird reference right there. That's what that is. Um, Holy shit, you know, dude. When, <laughs> when you said, Greg, what's going to fix this? It'll just, it's, it's only chaos now because it's new. But when I think as years go on and more players look at it and go, uh, you know what, two thirds of us go into the portal and they don't come out again. Then I think people will, you know, it'll calm down and people will take a much better a level-headed approach to it, except for those players that are just, you know, they're young and impulsive and, and kind of dumb sometimes. And that's what they do. Do, do you think it, in, in the way you're foreseeing it, and I'm not saying this to be argumentative, I don't think you're wrong. Then the transfer portal almost becomes the transfer black hole, you know? Well, for some players, unless you're a yeah. top, unless you're a, if you're a player that didn't see the field, uh, maybe you're going to go to a, a smaller school or a, you know, a, a lower level in play. But well, if you're a guy who is a established player who doesn't feel like he fits into, let's say a new coach's offense sure, or, sure, sure. or you don't like Texas anymore because it's just, <laughs> you know, it's fucking Texas. And you realize, Oh my God, these people are bigger assholes than I thought they were. And you decide I want to leave. Then uh, you have uh, stats and you have time and uh, somebody else goes, Hey, we'll take that guy. We had a heartbeat. We had a linebacker from Nebraska. I can't think of his first name, Hannah. Um, H-A-N-N-A-H. Daryl. Jack Hannah. Daryl Hannah. No. Splash. No, no. <laughs> but he's he's he went he went into the portal. I didn't even know he was in the portal, but he was in the portal and he's ended up at Tennessee as a walk-on. Right. As a walk-on. Right. So, you know, there's something to be said about that you know when tom osborne was coaching and he had you know that red not the red shirt the walk-on program flying you know he lost there they lost 30 kids a year there were 30 Easy. kids a year yeah. that left the program yeah by the way uh not the red shirt program but uh, uh appropriately for for the osborne era was called the red pants program Thank you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) One other thing uh, I wanted to mention uh, regarding players, uh, because we know that and I I see it and I understand it certainly more at the NFL level where uh, the organizations and I'm not saying that Nebraska athletic department's not benefiting uh, from, you know, the, the players, the players are not compensated at the same level, you know, a player's compensated at, uh, at the NFL level, clearly, but you, as an athlete, you only have X amount of years, you know, where, where you're going to be able to be a productive athlete, you know, uh, and for guys like running backs, we've seen, you know, that, uh, that, that numbers much shorter and their, their long-term equity is, is, uh, a lot less than that of a quarterback, you know, where again, especially at the NFL level, uh, especially when your name's Tom Brady, uh, you have the ability to have the rules changed for you to protect you. You don't have that as a running back. Um, so I get it. You have, you know, unless you're Will Honus and you're going to be in college for your 19th year, um, <laughs> uh, you you have, again, in, in an, an 
take out the COVID situation where, you know, you guys are getting extra years. You have four, maybe five years of college football. If, if you're not drafted after three years, um, you have to go. I think where your star is going to shine the most uh, to, to try to, you know, be seen, be visible to uh, be noticed by the next level, be it NFL, uh, you know, CFL, uh, XFL, when it comes back, whatever it might be, uh, you, you got to try to turn this passion into a payday. Um, so again, I do see both sides of it. Uh, but yeah, the transfer portal right now, it's just, it's just chaos. It's beautiful chaos, especially this year for Nebraska, but it's still chaos. I'll tell you what, unless I was one of the absolute top recruiters in the country, I'm loving the transfer portal. I, I think it, you know, I mean, they said when you, they reduced the scholarship limit down to 85, that there was going to be more parity. Well, you know, whatever. Well, come on. There is more parity. There might it's just be. one, one guy has destroyed parity in college football. <laughs> one but freaking guy. And I that's guess, why we're going through this era. Well, exactly. And, and I, but I tell you what, you're not, you're not rolling the dice nearly to the extent when you are bringing in guys that have, you know, some time on college campuses, you said it at the outset, Greg, they're more mature. You know, they've had, they've, they recognize that it isn't just about all the glitter and the glam and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm not opposed to it. And again, there. Husker fans, I don't think any Husker fan is opposed to the transfer portal, at least this off season. Uh, so all we can do is, you know, it's, it's like episodic television, right? This episode, this, this episode's great. Next episode might be a real stinker. So that's all we can do is, is just wait and watch. Yeah. All right. Um, Real quick, as I alluded to, the um, new player that that did uh, join Nebraska uh, as, uh, again, from the transfer portal was defensive back Omar Brown from Northern Iowa, and he's one of the top uh, defensive backs at the FCS level last year. So excited to see what he uh, will bring to Nebraska because I, I will say that I was very pleased with how the secondary played last year, but they did have a lot of experience and all those guys are gone. <laughs> so uh, be, I'm just, you know, that's going to, that was a, a, a position group that needed some reinforcements and, and uh, they, they got a few. So I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I feel bad for Omar because I, I think the day after he, he signed to join Nebraska uh, or he signed to join Nebraska the day after, uh, Nebraska football or the athletic department, whatever, released the, the picture of the 10 transfer portal acquisitions all posing together. So he missed out on the group photo. Poor guy. But, but you know, I got a question, guys. You guys are wiser than I am. You know, wait, wait. time out. I yeah. dispute that claim. No, it's it's true. I am. I don't know about you. You can. Use it. I was disputing. Earlier, you. you said you were an old guy, and I'll tell you what: you're not fucking old. You know why you're not old? You probably still trust your farts. Okay. Okay. So, what do you want, Todd? What do you Here's want from question. wisdom? That, that's a video special for all of you on YouTube. If you it, the, the, that was a that, that that was that was a nonverbal response to John's statement. If you're listening to the podcast, you're only going to see my reaction on YouTube. So check it out on YouTube. 
Here's here's a question I have. So, you know, since uh, the, the Scott Frost regime began, um, people have given tremendous props to Coach Fisher and the defensive backfield. And it's been from everything about how he coaches these guys, how he develops these guys. You know, he's a, one of the lead recruiters and he's brought in, you know, it seems like DB after DB after DB. They got a bunch of them. And they keep bringing in DBs and DBs and DBs and DBs. So what's the deal here? Is he bringing in good recruits? Can he develop them? Why the hell do we keep bringing in like 5,000 defensive backs anytime we have a chance to bring in DBs? I don't get it. Well, I think there's two reasons for this. Number one, we had a, we had a, a big three of the four guys out of the, I did a video on this three of the four guys out of the backfield are gone from last season that had experience. When you look at the guys that are coming back, Quentin Newsom's the only one with experience. And I, I think that he went out and he got four guys who have experience, right? They have a fair amount of snaps and he brought them in. And, and I think the other thing, the other thing that uh, I think he just fears giving up big plays. Honest to God. I really do. The, the reason, one of the reasons I say this is how he's played Minnesota in the last few years. Because a few years ago, he played zone against Minnesota when they beat the shit out of us. And they had Tyler Johnson and they had, uh, come on, Rashad Bateman. And then uh, who's the quarterback? Morgan, Tanner Morgan. And they could throw the ball in the air after they did play action and just beat the shit out of it. Anybody, they were beating people by long, big, explosive plays. And I just think Chenander, uh, really honestly, he's a defensive guy that does not want to give up explosive plays. And one of the ways you do that is by having a really good secondary. Are we ever so going to see Noah Pola Gates? Is Noah Pola Gates ever going to play? I don't know. That's a good question. It really is. Uh, I think he's brought in – are we going to see Tyreek Johnson play? I mean, he was a highly ranked guy that came in from Ohio State and transferred in last year, and we really yeah. almost saw nothing of him. So, Well, and, and I can't think of names. I'm horrible with the names. We had that kid that was out there that played a bit at corner that was like 6'2", that seemed to be a really good player, and uh, I wish I remembered his name. Anyway, yeah, it just, it just kind of baffles me. So, okay, I've had my diatribe. Greg, Put it this way. Put it this way. Everybody pays attention to the quarterbacks, everybody, right? So if the quarterback's on the field and he throws an interception and the whole place goes, ah, fuck that guy, he sucks. You know, or if he throws, you know, Casey Thompson's got good stats. His TD to interception ratio is really good coming in, right? Okay, almost nobody pays attention to defensive backs unless they give up big plays, right? I mean, defensive backs are kind of weird they only get statistics for pass breakups and interceptions. And if you're really, really good as a cornerback, nobody's throwing the ball in your direction. So you literally gather no stats whatsoever, right? If you shut down another team's best receiver, the best way to show that you're a good cornerback is that receiver in the game he played against you didn't have the stats he usually does. So I think that it's a good thing that he's paying it. He wants to cycle that group just like we would a quarterback because it's very important to the defense. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I just wonder when these guys are going to develop that he recruits. Well, let's see. Who's he put into the NFL? DiCaprio Boodle? It, it, yeah, DiCaprio Boodle. 
Uh, Cam Taylor many, Britt will be drafted. Cam Taylor Britt will probably get drafted. Uh, I don't know. Didn't, didn't recruit him any. necessarily, Todd, but helped develop. Understood. And, and, and here's the thing, and, and, and I get it. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt came to Nebraska. He, he, he was already very good. I think he got better. I think to John's point, you know, and, and obviously, you know, we had the the mental mistake against Illinois. And I, I'm not counting that because that was special teams, and that's not his, you know, his first position, whatever it is. Um, but to, to John's point, they, I think, this season they avoided uh, his side of the field, you know, more than you know previous years. Uh, he he wanted to come back. He was one of those special fifth year, sixth year guys. I mean, he, he, he opted to come back uh, with that extra year of eligibility. Uh, he, I think when we were, you know, when he made his announcement, said something like unfinished business or, or, you know, more work to be done or whatever it was. And I, I don't think he, he didn't disappoint me uh, this past fall uh, it, overall. And, and, but th- what I'm saying is he was very good when he came in. I think he was excellent when he left. I, I, I'm not beating up Coach Fisher. That's that's really not my point. I think sounds guy, like you are. But but it just it just <laughs> baffles me. I don't understand why. I don't understand why they keep bringing in more and more defensive backs. And if if the reason is to have the most competitive competitive environment as he can, you know, to build players up, I'm all for that. I just wonder, like I said, I wonder where some of these younger guys are that, you know, came in with a lot of accolades. So that, I wonder, that's I, what I'm wondering about. I, Todd, I have a, a series of questions for you um, that I'm going to try to make it more – make the defensive back situation more relative to you. You, What are you drinking tonight, Jim Beam? Yeah. <laughs> now, did you come across Jim Beam – naturally or did you have to try a few uh drinks before you settled on that one it's cheaper than what uh, i prefer to drink and okay so it's a, <laughs> so so it's a two-star beverage is that what you're saying i would say it's a <laughs> they didn't have any maker's mark where he was my maker's mark I have to have another special occasion to crack those babies open. So it wasn't necessarily for, for you and your gym beam. It wasn't a process of elimination. It was a, this is the only option I've got. So this think, is what I'm stuck with. Would and I, I think, if I could? yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think that's what Travis Fisher's doing in the DP room is he's bringing. There's in, the answer right there. I'd upgrade if I could. <laughs> he's bringing in an assortment of fine whiskeys and bourbons and he's going through it and, and picking out the best for his, uh, for his cabinet. And, and kudos to him. If, if that's, if that's the way, if it works out great, I just, uh, I don't answer your question. This is the year Noah Pola Gates gets on the field, Okay, but, but to, to your, to, to him specifically, uh, he was uh, uh, listed as a safety where you had, uh, Markel Dismuke, who, you know, was again a, a beneficiary of that extra year of eligibility, and uh, uh, Deontay. So you had plenty of experience and talent ahead of him. So 
I'm not saying Noah Polgates couldn't have unseated them, but you had some pretty well entrenched upperclassmen. And now I think it's a more open position for, for him to, to try to get in there and, and, and see the field. Well, honestly, you know, other than the fact that everybody's eyes is going to be on the quarterback situation, I think personally it's going to be really exciting to see who who does who's out on the field in the defensive backfield because my goodness gracious, you know, if if you believe everything that's written and what people say, we ought to have some of the best defensive backs in the country. So and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And I might be. Anything's possible. I'm not that bright. Um, do we still have the transfer from Ohio State? Tyreek Johnson, yes. Thank, yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, so, in, and he's, again, upperclassman material now. He's he's classified as a junior. Um, you know, that that's one that, you know, I can, I can see coming, coming through. Doing some good things. Yeah, we'll see what happens this year. I mean, that's all we all we can do. All we can do. Put it this way: there's been a lot of complaints that uh, we lost all these players on the offense, and you know the offense was the problem. And then people were complaining, "Well, with the defense, we're going to be missing a lot." Well, they went out and did something about that. Maybe I don't know. I'm not worried. We'll see about what happens. Defense. What? I'm not worried about the defense. You have Jim B. Yeah, no. You're not worried about anything. Be honest, you son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Talk a few other things here. Um, I I promise, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Husker fans of all ages, when I said I wanted to address uh, some of the things from um, the from last week's episode, I didn't know that would end up being the bulk of this week's episode. So I apologize. Um, let's talk a little bit about wrestling because they had a very nice showing against Wisconsin. And Todd, as our uh, present wrestling expert, uh, tell me a little bit or tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about how how that duel uh, went so well in Nebraska's favor. Well, it actually, you know, they, they beat Wisconsin, who I think was ranked eighth. Correct. Uh, at the time, that was on Friday. And then Sunday, they went down to Northwestern. And they beat them, too. Um, so they had a really good weekend. And uh, – I th- the bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned with the Nebraska team, is, you know, when they wrestled uh, against Purdue a few weeks ago, I was at the social beforehand. And Coach Manning talked quite a bit about the impact that COVID had had on the team. COVID had been going through the team. And without mentioning, you know, he told us two wrestlers that were in the protocol. At that time, it was Chad Red and Peyton Robb. Uh, he'd had other wrestlers that had been in the protocol. And when you saw you know, I, the, the match that I watched that night against Purdue, I could tell you which guys were coming off the protocol because they just didn't have it. And, um, you know, I don't think they've been right, honestly, until uh, the Wisconsin match. And I would argue there's a couple of guys that still don't, uh, you know, they're still suffering from some fatigue and that type of thing. But all of that said, uh, Wisconsin's a very good team. And Wisconsin had some individuals that knocked off uh, some tough guys the weekend before. And, you know, people were bragging them up quite a bit. And the, the venue that Wisconsin wrestles in up there in Madison is, 
you know, next to Camp Randall in that old field house. And it's the same place they play volleyball. And it's really kind of a neat, a neat place to, to watch the sport because the fans are really close and you sit right on top of them. Went up there and watched Nebraska wrestle a few years ago. But nonetheless, here's the thing. Nebraska's got some good guys that are finally starting to show um, that they, they have the potential to stand on the podium. Um, I don't like the way that uh, a, a few of them, I don't like the way Mikey Labriola, I don't like the way that Taylor Venz are giving up their legs so doggone easy. Peyton, Peyton Robb uh, against uh, the Deacon kid from Northwestern, he gave up his legs too easy. So those guys got to get that straightened out. But, um, you know, the, the, the top part of the, the, the lineup, which is where the strength is, it looks like those guys are starting to fire on all cylinders. Christian Lance, the heavyweight, he knocked off the Hilger kid from Wisconsin who was ranked, you know, at least four or five spots higher than he was. Uh, and Lance looked, I mean, Lance didn't just get a victory. I mean, he beat him. He punished him. Um, I'm still waiting to see some of that explosiveness from, from the Nebraska wrestlers that a lot of them have. They haven't cranked it up yet. Um, but it was, it was a good win against Wisconsin. Um, you know, Ridge Lovett uh, did get beat against Wisconsin, but then he turned back around against Northwestern. He beat one of Northwestern's. Well, he beat a very, very good wrestler, 149 pounds, Yaya Thomas. Um, there's a name for you, but um, he did he did really well. So I like where they're at. They have uh, Michigan this week. That's going to be tough, um, but it, it'll be a good measuring stick. It's at home. Hopefully there's a good crowd. Uh, but it, we'll get a good idea if these guys have turned the corner. I hate to spring this on you, but have you heard any more about that Oklahoma State kid? No, I haven't. Um, I, I was looking actually for it today. And my old um, my old high school coach who in the wintertime is down in Arizona, he had a lot of strong Oklahoma State connections. And we've um, been back and forth a little bit. It, what I read, in, and John's talking about uh, – 197 pounder from Oklahoma state. His name's AJ Ferrari. Um, he's from Texas as a freshman, true freshman. He won at 197 last year. Um, pretty arrogant, pretty cocky. Uh, but I think that, you know, he, he, uh, <laughs> he backs it up. Um, he's going to have that shit if you're going to be a champion. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, for, for those of you who don't know what happened, he and one of the members of the cross country team at Oklahoma state, uh, we're out at a at a high school, um, a little a little ways out of Stillwater, putting on. Uh, they attended a wrestling practice, or they did. They made some kind of an appearance, maybe at a you know a, a clinic or something like that. And when they were driving home, um, apparently AJ Ferrari was driving, and he tried to pass three vehicles going up a hill and ran head into uh, another driver. But they were both airlifted. Uh, both of them, from what I understand, had non life threatening injuries. Okay. Uh, AJ Ferrari did have fluid in the lungs. Does, can the kid make it back? I, you know, I don't know that anybody's worried about that right now. Um, but, uh, he's a stud. He's, he's the real deal. Uh, he's one of those guys that, um, he's, uh, the WWE signed, a, a NIL contract with Gable Stevenson, you know, kind of like a future stars, uh, NIL contract. Uh, they did the same thing with AJ Ferrari. So um, he's, he's quite the showman. Well, I hope he comes out. Okay. I do too. He's 197 pounds is so deep this year. I mean, it is, 
boy, it's a tough weight class. And uh, yeah, guys, there's going to be in wrestling. And I know not everybody's a big wrestling fan, but there are all Americans that are not going to get into the blood round this year in some of these weight classes, because there is so much depth. It's just, it's just bonkers. Penn state's going to win it going away. There's my prediction. <laughs> well, that's because they picked up two Huskers in the middle of the year. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to talk about regarding men's basketball. Uh, they have been uh, postponed and I mean, they've been playing poorly, so there's not a whole lot to talk about even when they do play, but they don't play again until, uh, uh, well, if you're listening to this on Friday, the 28th, they played last night and they did something in that game. Um, but I, I can't we don't predict know. the future. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's a loss. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> Greg, I didn't watch, so I, I can't. Know. <laughs> uh, and then women's basketball, uh, they were, I think, playing tonight, uh, which I don't have any of that information in front of me. Um, we'll get Jill back on to give us up-to-date information on everything going on there. I did find it interesting, and I want to know your guys' thoughts or if you saw the tweet. Uh, Steve Sipple tweeted out, uh, a tease of an article he's working on uh, of a conversation with the Nebraska volleyball coach, John Cook, who apparently appeared to maybe have been in the running for the athletic director spot and said that if they would have offered it to him, he would have loved to have taken it. He says, I'm very happy for Trev. I don't remember. That's a paraphrasing of the tweet, uh, the article coming sometime. If you have papers and like Steve Sipple, I just thought that was interesting that, uh, I, I don't think there's anybody here who would have um, been dismayed by a John Cook led uh, athletic department. Although maybe on the downside is, I don't know if he could still maintain his head volleyball coach status and still be athletic director. I'm sure it's happened in other schools. I don't know if it's happened in the last 20 years, um, but just kind of curious your guys thoughts on, on hearing that, that, that name uh, looks like it was more than just, you know, uh, fan casting or fan hiring or, or uh, whatever you want to call it. Todd. I was going to let you go first. <laughs> well, I think John Cook said, basically said uh, something to the, the effect of uh, the athletic department was on the edge of an abyss, just like democracy, you know, and if, if, if Trev Alberts wouldn't have taken the job, he would have taken the job because something had to happen. Something had to be done, which is kind of like, it's kind of saying, uh, gee whiz, what the fuck is, uh, what, what the fuck has been going on there the past couple of years, I guess, under Bill Moose, you know, did he bring in lieutenants that were just, uh, not very good at their jobs that, uh, is the whole place fucked up beyond belief. What the hell's going on? I think that's kind of what it sounds like, John. It, it sounds like the, the problems go deep. And I, uh, I want to ask you, you, maybe I'm misinterpreting what you just said there, John, about Bill Moose and bringing in lieutenants. If you think of an athletic department as, um, as a kingdom, this is going to be an odd analogy, but, but stick with me. Uh, or, or maybe uh, a government, you know, the athletic director is president. And then you have, you know, like the secretary of football, 
the secretary of basketball, the secretary of baseball. Are these lieutenants like the head coaches that, that he hired? Okay. They're more <laughs> like, a, they're more like the resounding. I, no, many companies that I've worked with over the years, I tend to have a long-term uh, relationship with customers and, you know, you can, for example, an owner, I'm trying to phrase this though. I don't give this away. Uh, I had an owner once who the company lost a gob of money and the owner of that company, the family of that company fired their CEO. And that CEO came in and brought a guy who was his, like one of his lieutenants. And then he fired everyone else who was in executive management and he brought in his own people. And that's fairly common inside uh, corporations, you know, not, you know, not necessarily big giant corporations. Well, it is kind of common there too. But when you bring in people, you tend to favor people who are your vice presidents. The bigger the corporation, uh, the bigger you tend to favor your own people that are going to do what you want them to do or report what you want them to report, that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you look at Moose, he did bring in some of his own guys and they did have significant positions in the athletic department. And uh, I don't, maybe they they sucked. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that was a problem. I, I just think that they're from from you know reading between the tea leaves. Not only did you have, you know, those associate assistant AD types, it sounds sounds to me like there was just kind of a cancer, you know, uh, and maybe a morale problem in the whole department. And um, I I think you know it doesn't matter where you're at in the hierarchy of any kind of an organization if the people at the top are rotten. Um, you kind of have a bad attitude and, uh, the more you hear about it, it sounds like, uh, uh, Bill Moose was kind of an absent, uh, athletic director that, uh, outside of hiring head coaches really didn't give a damn. I think the key here is this it, it, through three decades of consulting. I can tell you there's one consistency across every industry Every size of company I've worked for, every, everything you can think of, public sector, private sector, doesn't matter. One thing is constant, and that is that the organization takes on the personality of the person who leads it, which if we started on a political podcast right now, looks pretty damning for our country, given the last two presidents we've had. But we'll just stay away from the edge of that abyss. But honest to God, when I go into an organization and the guy who is running it is a lying, cheating bastard. And I have worked for those people. The people that surround him tend to be lying, cheating bastards. And the reason for that is, is, is if you're a decent person that doesn't want to be a lying, cheating bastard, you can't stand working there and you go get a job somewhere else. Yeah, you go. Now, I've worked with a lot of companies at the same regard who treated their family, their employees like a giant family. And who wants to work there? really good, excellent people that want to treat each other very well. So, you know, I think that I'm not, I don't have any insight to the athletic department or the inner workings or anything like that, but I think that uh, you can tell when an organization is well-run because the people up here and the, the way that it flows down throughout the organization, it's not necessarily a message, a mission statement of a business but it is a, you can tell in how they operate and how they do things. You know, are they on the up and up? Are people, do people enjoy that? When you, there's a, a phrase called MYOB. Is that it? No, that's. <sighs> Make anyway, your own beer. Management, management by walking around. Yeah. Okay. 
And it's, it, I did this quite a bit when I was doing project management. Uh, you walk around and you just observe people. And you really observe people. One of the neat, interesting things is that or observe people when they're not talking to anybody. Because people have a tendency when they're talking to people to go, oh, hi, Bob, how are you doing? And they smile. But when they're just working, you can tell how frustrated they are, how angry they are, how, how they don't want to be there. And you kind of go, oh, well, I guess I know what's going on in this organization. You know, and, and you, that's not hard to determine. You can tell how they communicate. You know, I used to walk in and ask the people at the front desk if they read our emails that we sent out yesterday about the project we're working on that's going to affect them. And they would go, well, we didn't get any emails. Oh, then I guess there's a problem with communication, right? You know, and if you can't, if you can't, the person at the front desk doesn't know what your organization is doing, uh, your organ, it tells a lot. To me, it always told a lot about the organization. It told me that the people up here don't give a fuck about communicating with the people all the way down there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I gauged how I was working with the organizations based on their responses. I just, I just hope that Trev Alberts turns out to be a real good AD. Oh God. Yeah. Nebraska has not had one since Bill Byrne, in my opinion, uh, a good AD. And, and that contributes to where the athletic program is today. I mean, buck stops with them. No disagreement. No disagreement. One other thing I wanted to uh, bring up, I know you guys talked about it last week, uh, and that was we had a very dynamic, entertaining national championship game. It, it sucked that it was between two teams that we don't care about, um, but it was entertaining, and it was entertaining it, more so that Alabama lost. And then – I feel like even as a Husker fan that college football fans are being punished because the next football game is Nebraska Northwestern in Ireland. <laughs> and I know you guys t- touched on it a little bit. Um, Todd, you said that in a dif- different environment, a different you know world, uh, uh, another version of earth in the multiverse, uh, you'd be going, to, uh, you know, booking a trip to Ireland. Um, I think it's important to tell people that when it was supposed to be Nebraska, Illinois, uh, in Ireland this past season, my wife and I were going to go and then the pandemic happened and then she got pregnant with twins. So we ended up not going. I tell you all that to tell you this, we're still not planning on going this year. (laughs) Sadly. <laughs> um, I imagine you won't be going anywhere for like I don't know the rest of your life. It's it's definitely been <laughs> that 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 has been our experience. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, we joked about it. Our last date night was May of last year. Yeah, and we went to dinner and we're back by six thirty. <laughs> it's just how it goes, man. It's you know, it's cool. It's cool. It's it's a uh, I'm blessed. Blessed beyond my deserving. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you guys talked about like. there's no way that game should be played in Ireland, right? I mean, just because of the continuing pandemic. However, there's no way that game's not being played in Ireland. And I'll tell you why. And I'm going (laughs) to, what's that Todd? No, we we agree with what you're saying. There's, you know, there's no way it should be played, but it's going to be played. (laughs) And and, and I'm going to tell you why with the help of the greatest singer songwriter of this or any generation, Mr. Neil Diamond. Money talks. 
but it don't sing and dance and it can't walk. As long as I can have you here with me. <laughs> I just, I, I did that for Have we entered into that segment of the show? Is that it? We're there. That's where yeah. we're at now. We're, we're there. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a horrible segue, but uh, the, the entertainment world lost a legend, a, a, a tremendous entertainer, uh, a musician, actor, I, you know, look, this is not the first thing I think of when I hear his name, but a little part of me will always be like, bitch, tit, Bob. Um, And, but we lost meatloaf and Todd, you had uh, shared something very, very nice uh, on your social media. uh, Some, some old memories of, of driving around in vehicles with uh, eight track tapes. Uh, Kids, if you don't know what an eight track tape is, Ask your great grandparents; they'll be able to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you you requested uh, from the producers uh, just a few minutes here uh, in the show to um, you know share some thoughts uh, about meatloaf. And folks, this is this is an extraordinary circumstance. We don't usually care about you know celebrity passings. We I don't even think mentioned Betty White. Uh, or Bob Saget. I mean, we've lost a lot of good ones here just in the last month. Um, so when Todd says, I really want to talk about meatloaf, um, <laughs> I think, I think you, you really enhance the flavor when you, when you put the ketchup on and then put it in the oven. Um, yeah. Ketchup. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, go ahead, Todd. Well, I, I'm, I'm done being silly. It's it's it is though. I mean, you know, you brought up the bigger the bigger concept. It's been kind of a rough few weeks when it comes to, you know, celebrities and and well known people. Um, but you know, I guess we're kind of at that stage in our lives where we know it a little bit more. But uh, you know, know them a little bit more. But yeah, Betty White and you know Bob Saget for goodness sake, Louis Anderson. Um, you know, holy moly! But um, no, when I when I the morning I woke up, it just happened that I turned the television on. And that was what was on the news was the the passing of meatloaf. And, you know, John, from from a musical standpoint, I cannot uh, I I don't even I'm not even in the same league as what John is and his knowledge of of rock and roll music, punk music, popular music, et cetera, et cetera. And he's got some really eclectic tastes. But I know that John even posted on social media something about the guy's incredible voice. Yeah. Three Um, octave. Yeah. Well, and I want to say uh, to that, John, you you said that meatloaf should should be remembered for having um, you know, on Freddie Mercury's level, yeah. uh, but he's not. And no. and and I think I, part of me was thinking if something, I'm not trying to take anything and disparage Freddie Mercury, John Lennon, anybody who's you know lost in, in what may be their prime. Kurt Cobain, you know, like we, we think of them when they're at their highs and meatloaf hasn't really been in the spotlight for, no. you know, several years. Um, I'm sure, you know, he was still active and, and things like that, but I think we start to take it for granted. Uh, but meatloaf had just a tremendous voice, exceptionally yeah. powerful. Um, and, and so it's, it, to your point, John, it, it's unfortunate that he's not kind of remembered in that same um, top tier of, of you know uh, vocal 
capability. Uh, I apologize. I'll, I'll step back. This is obviously. I, I think um, the thing is, is when you look at Queen, right? Freddie Mercury and Queen, they had rock music, right? Their early on stuff was just pure rock music. And then they moved into progressive rock. And then they did, you know, like they, the, the, the movie soundtrack to Flash, Gordon. Right. If you remember, they did all sorts of different stuff. And Freddie Mercury uh, was extremely active in, in singing and putting out different types of music all through his career and his life. Whereas yeah. Meatloaf, I mean, he had that one album with Jed, Jim Stead, Steidman, right? Steidman. Yeah. And, Bad out and, of hell. You know, they had, you know, they he put out a couple albums. And when the first Bad Out of Hell came out, I mean, it was just, it was so different than everything at that time. And it, the problem with it is, is that he, his voice was so strong. It was a very theatrical voice. Yeah. It wasn't a rock voice. It was theatrical more than rock. And the way that he performed those songs and everything was so beautiful and, and unique. And sometimes when you're like that, you know, you stick in a niche and you stay there for the people that were, uh, that loved you. And he didn't just, uh, he didn't produce nearly as much as Freddie Mercury did, but he did. He did weird things. I mean, yeah. what's the guy's name in uh, Rocky Horror? Eddie? Yeah. Is it Eddie? He played Eddie. God, it was it, it was so funny to watch well, that whole movie with him acting. And he did that on stage, too, I guess. Rocky Horror. He had an I, epic meltdown on The Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump, too. When Eddie? he was. Yeah, he he. Oh, he went on a tirade there. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about him, too, John, and, and you know, the, when you're 16 years old, you know, you at that stage of your life, you know, you're trying to figure out who the hell you are. And like I said in social media, I remember the first time I heard that. And I was with a group of we were wrestlers and, and we were going to a wrestling tournament freestyle tournament in the spring and we one of our friends his family had a Winnebago RV and that's what we went in and and uh, he put bad out of hell in there and we just played it and played it and played it uh, because it was just so incredible and when you know after I the morning that I heard about his death I decided you know what I'm just gonna listen to bad out of hell straight through I was exhausted I mean, I was that there is so much power and energy, even in the ballads in that song. Yeah. And 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 the other thing and, and, you know, just reading some stuff on social media and thinking about it, you know, anybody that grew up in that era, at least one time in your life, when you were driving down the road with the radio blasted and Paradise by the Dashboard Light came on or one of his other songs. And if you're significant other is sitting right next to you you're both <laughs> singing that you're both singing that song at the top of your lungs stop right now <laughs> there's you know i got two out the of three ain't bad yeah. two out of three ain't bad i mean you know there was just such power and energy and it is kind of hard to believe in some respects that you know outside of bad out of the hell he didn't have you know a whole lot of musical success except for the one song um that came on the, the bad out of hell return or whatever his second album was. Um, bad out of hell. Back too. to hell. It was it was back to hell. Back to hell, like and that, you know, know. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the, the his first single, I think, was uh, "You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth." It took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, must have been when you were kissing me. And you remember, it started out with the "Will you offer your 
your throat to the wolf, of the, wolf red of the red roses. Right. And, and they went through uh, that whole thing. And I bet you say that to all the bullies. Just classic. Anyway, thanks for letting me kind of, you know, go on about that a little bit because, you know, he by no way is he on anybody's Mount Rushmore of, of great rockers. But that album, that voice, those songs, uh, it, they were very, very important to kids who were coming of age in the late 1970s. Um, and like I said, kind of the soundtrack of my teenage years, though I wasn't nearly as lucky as the people in the songs were. Um, I, <laughs> dreamed, I dreamed about it. <laughs> so are you telling me, Todd, that you never were praying for the end of time? <laughs> so <laughs> hurry up and arrive <laughs> uh that, that and i i love i i i really enjoy uh you know paradise by the dashboard lights for for multitude but i, I like how <laughs> i think what we're talking about here largely is meatloaf is uh vastly underrated right but uh, his vocal capability and the lyrics and just the form of the songs allowed him to, you know, build this oddly enough with paradise by the dash really build anticipation. <laughs> uh, uh, and then he just, you know, he gets into another gear uh, and, and really uh, brings up the energy. Um, and, and uh, yeah, just his, maybe his style was, was that, that, I don't know if he ever won Grammys. Like I didn't do a ton of meatloaf research uh, on this. Um, he, he had that driving, the, the driving vocals that are, are reminiscent of like, you know, could have been, if he was a front man for another band that had a different sound, then that band would have, you know, gone, you know, platinum X amount of times. Right. Um, but he did his own thing. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, marched to the beat of his own drum did music that I think he enjoyed. Like he went, I don't think he was out necessarily to sell records, although, you know, largely that's uh, you know, what, what people get into the industry for, but he told tremendous stories through his music. And I think that's what uh, I, I, a, I think that's what's missing in music now uh, is that we don't, you know, when I think one of my, oddly enough, one of my favorite songs, as old as it is, is uh, El Paso um, by, uh, oh crap, Marty, Marty Robbins. Thank you. I was going to say Marty Rogers, but I'm like, <laughs> that's not right. Uh, it, but it tells, it, it, it's, you know, it tells a story. It's, it's very basic, uh, both in, in melody and lyrics, uh, but it tells a story. And now, by and large, pop music is like, how quick can I bang this chick? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I think and, they... Well, they, they well, the that's, that well, that's the struck- point of Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It was a much more entertaining way of getting there. <laughs> I think the way struck me about him is how much power he had. Yeah. You know, and he, I remember being at the zoo bar, and I can't remember who it was. It might have been Etta James or somebody like that. But that woman stood on the stage, and when she sang, she the mic was no, not even close to her. And she could have knocked the windows out of the zoo bar, but she would sing with the mic like at least three, the length of her hands away mm-hmm. and still had such a powerful voice. I probably didn't need a mic, you know, and that's what always struck me about Meatloaf was the ability to project his voice and, and he hit the octaves, the different octaves in the range that he had 
Uh, and then again, he had great emotion in all of his music. And that's really what sold him as, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of pretty good singers. And sometimes they just, you know, you can tell that they just, they're singing. I'm going to sing the song now. Okay, great. You know, whereas the really, the, I think the best, most beautiful singers to listen to that you can feel the love and the beauty in their music when it comes out. There you go. That's what uh, that's what I'd say about meatloaf. Is uh, yeah, and football. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, oddly enough, I uh, messaged the guys about eight o'clock tonight, asking if they could go within a few minutes. Uh, we started the conversation about eight ten. We started recording about eight twenty, and here it is after nine thirty. We're finally ready to hit stop. And uh, uh, but we've been uh, we covered a lot of, of ground tonight, and so uh, uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in uh, this week and every week. Uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, we do this for free, uh, really. Uh, and, and so just tell tell more people, you know, hit hit the share button, uh, tell people about the Coordination Podcast that you know and love, and that provides entertainment to you regularly, which is I, I do it for mental health, Craig. I don't have any other friends. <laughs> Wait, are, are you calling us friends or therapists? Both. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it, it, tell, tell me now, because if I'm if I'm providing therapy, then I need to bill you for about, you know, about 150 back. Oh, well, episodes. then you're just a friend, not a therapist. <laughs> <motherfucker>. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I don't need your money, John. <laughs> <laughs> right answer <laughs> that's good <laughs> <laughs> all right no but, but seriously folks uh, if you like what we're doing uh, just just click share if you see it on social media uh tell other people uh throw us a subscribe on your favorite podcast app or just continue going to coordination.com and uh, uh listening or, or or watching on youtube um comment on youtube uh we're we're always interested in uh knowing what your thoughts are uh and and if you know if you have a an intense disagreement or, or hatred for one or all of us, let us know in the comments because we love reading your negative YouTube comments. We do. <laughs> uh, so for our founder, fearless leader, John Dam Johnston, for Todd, as always, especially for his wife, Wolverton, uh, I'm Greg Mahochko. <laughs> this has been the Five Heart Podcast, where we remind you this and every week. And Todd, pay attention. Write it down. Five Heart is all the heart you need. John? Go, Big Red. Toddly? Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. That's what you went with? That's all the meatloaf stuff you went with, Dad? Nighttime would find me in Rosa's cantina. Music would play and Lena would whirl. I'm not, I'm not no. Come on, John. This is your turn. Now, for some reason, what popped into my head was uh, I have spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle, which is <laughs> a completely different song. Right, right, right. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Oh, my God. <laughs> this can only end, John, when you stop recording. <laughs> is that it? Well, it's 30 below and I don't give